You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. You know, one thing that has been, I think, on many of our minds, certainly if you've been watching the news, is what's going on in Afghanistan, what's going on in the Middle East, uh, the refugee situation, getting Americans out of the country. You know what? I hope this is a watershed moment for us as Christians in America that reframes the way that we look at refugees. Because even when we started helping with this organization, a Christian organization, Voice of Refugees, last year, there was a little bit of a question on the part of some people like, hey, wait a minute. We're helping these people that are getting resettled from the Middle East. What do they believe? What kind of folks are these? And I mean, you can see from the news, the people that are getting hunted down in their homes, they're people who helped us as a nation in our objectives. Their lives are threatened and they're fleeing their country. They're coming here, you know, they've got a a doctorate in something, you know, they're practicing medicine in Afghanistan. They're going to be bagging groceries here when they land as a refugee. This is not the life that they saw for themselves, but it's an incredible opportunity for us to minister as God's people to those who are resettled here. And fortunately, I would say this, you know, pray. We want to pray. We want to have a heart for what's going on there, but we can do something about those who are already here. And and fortunately, we have been. That's the sort of community that I believe we're a part of here at Branches. Uh, You know, the elders gave a significant commitment and gift as we began into COVID because one of the hardest hit populations was obviously going to be those who are refugees who were struggling to find a job as it was. you know, what were they going to do for food and all that? You know, they didn't have the government support that everyone had. And so we gave a, a monthly gift, a distribution that uh, actually, Joe Gadotti from our church community, he's the executive director of Voice of Refugees. He wrote me a letter this week before everything was even going down necessarily. He said, this is what your generous support as branches has brought about. From May 2020 to June 2021, we donated $22,400 through their food distribution program. That's 28% of all their food ministry donations that had come in over that time period. That was 13,521 total deliveries of groceries to an average of 212 families every single week. That's 892 individuals that were being served every single week over the course of this last year. Can we praise God for that? And so I just want to affirm you that when things go on in the news, you know, we are already invested in what's happening. You know, we are already actively moving as those who are, uh, you know, working on behalf of Christ for those who are suffering in the name of Jesus. It's your gifts that have made those gifts possible. And I just want to thank Joe Gadotti, Voice of Refugees, who gives us a platform to go beyond just merely praying for a group of people in our world that we could actually begin to serve them. And you think about ministry and you want to believe that it's like this amazing emotional high all the time when we're doing God's work and his will. But then when you boil it down and you think about 13,500 deliveries to homes all over Orange County, that's some tedious, mundane work that some honest-to-goodness servants of Jesus have been fulfilling over the course of this last year faithfully. So I just want to commend those servants as well, this organization, Joe Gadotti, everything that he's doing in his leadership. Can we thank them together? And let's again just think... How can we go beyond what we've done to this point? How can we go in the example of Jesus to the extent that he demonstrated for us? All right, let's jump in here, though. Matthew chapter 12. What a great testament to the fact that we aren't like last week what we talked about, those spectators 
those sideline cynics that are just kind of watching the work of God from the outside and speaking negatively about it. But we want to get with Jesus, get on with the good work that he's doing. Jesus said, he said, there's no middle ground. You're either gathering with me or you're scattering. There is no role as a spectator. You're on with what I'm doing or you're diluting the spiritual waters. And that was, of course, what was going on with his critics and opponents. And now his critics and opponents are going to lay down another request of Jesus. They're going to say, you know what? We haven't been appeased yet. We still want to see you perform another sign. Really authenticate who you are for us. And that's not going to fly with Jesus. You know, if you thought last week was a little bit negative in tone, you wanted a reprieve this week, you probably didn't read on. Because there's no reprieve in the tone of what we're studying. But again, by the time we finish our time together this morning, we're going to see the nature of true discipleship from the words of Jesus himself. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12. Of course, if you need a Bible and you want to have one in your hands as we go through this study, you can raise your hand and one of the ushers will pass one to you so that you can reference it throughout the study. But the verses will also be on the screens. Verse 38 of Matthew chapter 12. It says, Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you, Jesus. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first, that is how it will be with this wicked generation. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you, Jesus. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. They come to Jesus. They say, teacher, we want to see a sign. We want to see a miracle. I think the first question is, have they been watching? Have they been attentive to everything that's gone on in this gospel up to this point? I mean, I understand today we're a little distracted as we go through life. You know, we're, we're caught up in our devices when we're driving, when we're walking around, when we're at family dinner. You know, we're distracted people. But back then, what in the world? They haven't been able to see what's going on. I mean, there's a guy with a shriveled hand that got healed. I could really use that today. There's a person who's mute, you know, who's blind, who's demon-possessed. They're set free. That's all taking place just in this same chapter, chapter 12 that we've been studying the last couple weeks. They are five inches in front of a massive billboard sign of what God is doing through Jesus. Now, some will suggest that maybe these Pharisees, these teachers, they hadn't seen all that Jesus had done. But I'm inclined to think that they had, 
And they were really just looking for, you know, another, hey, this is the final, this is the authenticating sign, Jesus. This is really going to confirm it for us. We want to have you blow us away so that you can take us from not believing in you to believing in you. I mean, give us incontrovertible evidence that you are who you say you are. Change our hearts. I think there's a lot of people that feel this way today. There's a lot of people, if you get into their story, they're not a practicing Christian, they don't have a professing faith in Jesus, but if you talk to them, they'll have some account, some testimony from their life of some miraculous divine intervention. They've experienced some sign from God. Ask anybody, like, tell me a story. Have you ever encountered God in your life? And they'll be like, yes, let me tell you about it. It was really incredible. Well, are you walking with God? No. You know, and what are they waiting for? They're waiting for that final, well, I just need one more sign. I just need one more authenticating piece of evidence, and then I'm really going to get my life together. Jesus isn't having it. He says, oh, wicked and adulterous generation. That's who seeks a sign. Really? I mean, doesn't that mean that we're wicked and evil? Because we as Christians are constantly seeking that God would work wonders, right? Well, you know, the faithful seek those wonders and those signs from a place of faith for the benefit of God's kingdom. It's growth. These individuals are coming from a place of doubt and skepticism, and they want one more activity of Jesus, right, that's going to cause them to believe in the first place, or so they are assuming. But Jesus says, "Mm, no, 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 no. You're not truly seeking the truth. You are adulterous. You're an adulterous generation. Now, this is not so flattering, right, to be called an adulterous generation, And really, this was a term used quite frequently in the Old Testament from the prophets to the nation of Israel. They were called an adulterous nation because they would go after multiple gods. They wouldn't just be worshiping Yahweh, you know, the one true God. They would be going around worshiping idols and gods of all the neighboring nations. And so God said, basically, you're in bed with who's ever in vogue at the time, you know. Whatever God has the best timeshare presentation deal, like whatever you think you can get the most out of at any given time, that's the God that you're going with. And Jesus says, look, there's no two free tickets to Hawaii with my presentation. I am not giving you a free lunch with what I'm sharing with you. The only sign you're going to get out of me is the sign of Jonah. Now, many of us are familiar with the story of Jonah because Jonah was swallowed by that great big fish, right? Or perhaps a whale. And he was in the belly of that fish for some time before he was expelled. Well, he was in the fish in the first place because he was thrown overboard from a ship, right? He was on this ship trying to avoid this mission that God had given him, which was to preach repentance and life change to this wicked city of Nineveh. He didn't want to preach to them because he knew God was compassionate and would forgive them if they changed their ways. He wanted judgment. He wanted those evil people destroyed. So he's escaping from that mission. But when he's finally expelled from the fish, he gets on with the mission. And what happens? His worst fears are realized. He preaches repentance, says, 40 days, this whole place is going to be destroyed. And the Ninevites listen. And they give up their wickedness. And they seek God. And God keeps his wrath from encountering that nation. So Jesus says, look, guys. Jonah preached this message of repentance, and I'm like Jonah. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah, and it's not just that he was in the belly of this fish, and Jesus is going to be in the heart of the earth and resurrected in this authenticating sign that he's Savior and God, but I think more specifically he's saying Jonah preached a message of change and repentance, and that's the same message that I'm bringing to you today. I'm saying repent 
for the kingdom of God is right here. It's at hand. And they're going, can we have a little bit more time to think about it? Actually, could you give us like a little bit more evidence before we make up our minds? And Jesus is like, come on, guys. The Ninevites, these wicked people who are historical enemies of you, God's people. When they heard the preaching of Jonah, which wasn't all that spectacular. I mean, go back to Jonah chapter 3. This whole city is going to be destroyed in 40 days. It's not a spectacular message. There were no miracles. There are no signs accompanying it. And they listened. And they changed their ways. So what's going on with this generation that's listening to Jesus? One greater than Jonah, far surpassing Jonah, is in front of them. So he goes, look, the Ninevites, your historical enemies, right? The Assyrians, they're going to actually cast judgment on you when all is said and done. In fact, it's going to be a chorus of judgment. The queen of the south is going to rise up too and judge you as well. You know, there's going to be a super band of judgment coming at you in that day. Who's who's the queen of the south, right? He references the queen of the south. This is the queen of Sheba, right? You go, who? And that's, it's even like a phrase, right? You go, the queen of Sheba was there. You're like, who's that? It was this foreign dignitary. Uh, Again, another foreigner who traveled far and wide to visit with King Solomon, you know, to hear his wisdom. He had asked for wisdom from God. He was the wisest man on earth. And so she recognized that and traveled far and wide so that she could just get an audience with him to hear that wisdom. And so Jesus is saying again, I'm bringing a wisdom that is far greater than the wisest man who ever lived. This foreigner traveled from the ends of the earth to listen to King Solomon. But you guys can't even listen to me I'm so much greater than Solomon. But they're saying it's not enough. We need to see a little bit more evidence. Jesus is saying the preaching and the wisdom is enough. The preaching and the wisdom, it's enough. It's sign enough. You don't need any more pictures. You don't need any more miracles. It stands on its own. It demonstrates the nature and identity of Jesus full well. All in its own right. You know, we want to think about how to reach people who don't know Jesus. How do we change the hearts of this generation? Jesus is saying, look, you don't need to be fancy about it. (laughs) You don't need all these miracles and everything, all this show. It is enough to share my message. My message of repentance ought to be enough to bring changed lives. My wisdom ought to be enough to bring people from all corners of the world to hear what I have to say. I would say that to you this morning, if you're on the fence of faith, if you don't know whether or not you're going to believe in Jesus, Jesus says, here, just open up my words, read it for yourself. You don't need to ask for some, you know, writing in the sky. There's already writing that is enough for you to recognize who Jesus is for yourself. But I wonder if this generation that we're living in is similar to the generation of Jesus. Who wants to hear a message of change today? Are we primed for that in our world today? We are primed for exactly the opposite. All the messaging that you and I hear today is, you don't need to change. What you need to find out is you need to find out who you naturally are in yourself. Look for the answers deep within yourself. And when you find out who you are, according to your own definitions, your job in life is just to live that to the utmost. If anyone says, you or I need to change, that's like a sin. (laughs) That's what's wrong. Oh, you need to come beneath some other idea? You need to be molded into something different than what you already are. (gasps) That's wrong. This generation is primed to reject a message of repentance, 
a message of change. And when it comes to wisdom, you talk about wisdom, you can't raise anybody's, you know, heartbeat, you know. Their pulse isn't getting all, oh, wisdom? Who's looking for wisdom today? You know, you need sex or CGI to get someone to pay attention to something for just a few moments, right? I mean, wisdom, that's not drawing anybody in. So Jesus says to this generation before him, he goes, yeah, you guys say one more piece of evidence and you pinky promise you're going to give your whole life to me. They weren't going to believe a thing. Their hearts were stone cold dead. They weren't going to believe. To top off Jesus's critique and add to it, he tells this story, this kind of folksy parable about these impure spirits. Kind of an interesting story. He says, so there's this impure spirit in this individual and leaves the person, maybe presumably by the ministry of Jesus or one of his followers. And there's the impure spirit. It's, it's kind of uncomfortable. He's, he's out there, you know, in this arid wilderness and he's getting homesick. You know, he doesn't like being out there. Apparently, demons feel most at home in a host. So he's like, I'm going to go back. He returns to his old haunt, this old house, which is the soul of this person. And he finds them in this state where, you know, their soul is neat and tidy and clean because there's no impure spirits in there anymore. And he says, you know what? This isn't going to do. I'm going to go get seven of my buddies, you know, the number of completeness. They're more wicked than myself. And we're going to turn this soul into the most messed up frat party demon bachelor pad you ever saw. And they all come in and they end up making that person worse than they were at the beginning. Now, before you start thinking that Jesus is sharing this as sort of this technical treatise on how demons work, you know, here's a lesson in demonology and let's pick apart how the demons are. No, he's just trying to describe through this story the state of the hearts of this wicked and adulterous generation. And what he's essentially saying is if they are witness to Jesus' works, which we talked about last week is the binding up of the strong man, Satan, Jesus is plundering him of all his possessions in this world. If they are witness to that, and yet they go away and they remain vacant in their heart, empty in their heart, they're liable to be filled with more wickedness than they were at the start. You know, this is sort of a, chilling warning for us in our world today, particularly with the state of the nation as it is. Let me share with you a few statistics about the vacancy in a lot of souls in our nation today. In 2007, 16% of the population in America was saying they had no affiliation with any religion. They were saying, I don't, I don't follow anything, I don't listen to anything, I'm not a part of anything. 16% of the total population was saying, there's nothing here, all right? When you fast forward 12 years, just 12 years, into 2019, the same survey was conducted and it's near 30% of Americans are saying, I have no religious affiliation whatsoever. That is a rapid growth among that population. I said this last week at the afternoon service. I said, you want to talk revival? There is a revival that is unspiritual that is going on. There's a revival among people that are leaving the faith. That's where the growth is happening right now in mass. That's millions of people saying there's nothing here anymore. But that's not the only vacancy that you can see through the statistics. In the year 2000, when they surveyed Americans, 45% of Americans called themselves practicing Christians. 45% of America in 2000. That means they were praying on a regular basis. They're in fellowship on a regular basis. They're participating in a church community. 
You fast forward 20 years later to 2020, 25% of Americans say they are practicing Christians. That's a loss of 20% over a 20-year period. That is hemorrhaging practicing Christians. So we can look at that statistic and say, well, you know, there's still a lot of like self-identified Christians who would say, well, I believe in Jesus. But more and more of those people are doing nothing about it. It has no evidence in their life that they're participating. And it's very easy to connect these two trends together and say, wow, there is a real decline that's happening here. First of all, people stop practicing and they stop attending then they stop saying they have any affiliation, and then they stop believing. So you get filled with what on the other side of that? It's really no surprise when you look at the trends in America that as Christianity declines, so does happiness. So does general happiness. As Christianity declines, individualism is on the rise. Anxiety is on the rise. Anxiety is on the rise fastest among the generations that are least Christian. Is that a shocker? It's not a shocker to me, not a surprise to me. But everybody else is going, why is this the case? I'm not sharing these statistics with you to frighten you about the state of things. That's reality. You know, and these statistics to me are not just numbers. I know these folks by name as I've been ministering the last 10 years. And it's not so much about us cracking some social code so we can come up with a formula to just get them all back as if it were that easy. It's to illustrate what Jesus is talking about in this very passage. It's about us realizing that there is a real danger in soul emptiness, in a vacancy in our spiritual lives. You can think, oh, it's just whatever. I'm just in a funk. You know, I'm just kind of checked out right now. Turns out that vacancy is like a neon sign inviting in impure and foreign spirits to come in and fill your life. You know, I've heard that when you're doing great things for God, I've heard this a lot of times over the 10 years that I've been a pastor in this role. When you're doing great things for God, you're up on stage, you're preaching. Oh, the devil, he's got a target on your back. You better look over your shoulder. You better be praying really hard because you're doing great things for God. The devil's going to come after you to try to subvert that. Jesus says, you want to know when you got a target on your back? when you're doing nothing, when there's nothing, when there's no practice, when there's no life, when there's no thought, that's when you've got a target on your back. That's when you are ready to be picked off by the devil himself. We got to be filled with the things of God. That's what Jesus tells us as we finish out our study. He's there telling these stories, confronting these false ideas, and it says his mother and his brothers are trying to get to him, trying to get an audience with him. And Jesus uses this as a teaching opportunity. He goes, you know what, I'm, I can contrast, you know, those folks who are unfaithful, they're adulterous, they're wicked, they have that vacancy that's just going to be filled with evil with my disciples right here in front of me. And he says, oh, you want to know what faithfulness looks like? You want to know what fidelity looks like from a spiritual perspective? Do you want to know what it looks like to have your soul become home to the Holy Spirit, to your Father in heaven, to fill that void? Do you want to know what it looks like? And he points to his disciples and says, these are my mother and my brothers and my sisters because they do the will of my Father in heaven. They are practicing what I've been preaching. They responded to the message of repentance. 
They're soaking in the wisdom. They're doing all the things that you guys ignored. They're walking in my way. I think it's very important for us to realize when Jesus pointed to everybody and said, these are my brothers and my mother and my sisters, that he didn't say those who believe in me. He said those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And I think sometimes people will remark on the other side of a message that I give, and they say, oh, that's a really challenging message. You know, that's really confrontational. And man, it's kind of messing with me a little bit. I go, of course. Why wouldn't that be the case when we get on the other side of a message in God's word? Jesus came bearing a message of change, a message of repentance. So you would think on the other side of listening to a sermon about Jesus preaching that there would be some change that needs to take place. You know, Jesus has a wisdom, and it's not always my wisdom. My wisdom is not, you know, just naturally kind of instinctively in line with God's wisdom. Sometimes it's like this and this, and I'm not asking God to compromise with me. I'm the one who has to come over to see things the way that God sees things. You know, there's a, there's a transaction that has to take place, and it's on the part of me, right? It's repentance. It's change. That's what's supposed to be produced as we come into alignment with the will of God. Now, none of us earns our way to heaven by doing the will of God. That's not what I'm saying. Man, we've got that established, right? The only way that we experience salvation is through the grace of God manifest in Jesus Christ going to the cross. Our security is all there, swept up in that. But on the other side of yours and my confession of faith in Jesus as Lord, as God, how can we read what he says and hear him teach us without saying 100%, I am compelled to walk in that, to follow through with it in the Holy Spirit, to do the will of my Father in heaven. So I want to call us into his will today. If you need a change, change. If you need a change, change. If you're that empty vessel, repent. Because you might say, oh, I'm just, I'm here on the sidelines. I'm just waiting for God to do another thing. I'm just waiting for him to, you know, snap me out of this funk. You know, I, I just need one more thing, you know, and then I'll get my act together, right? If you are that empty vessel, change. Because Jesus says, I've given you what you need. I've given you the signs. I've given you my word. I've given you my wisdom. You're waiting for me to move toward you. I have moved toward you. It stands in its own right. Now, you've got to move toward me. The most dangerous place you or I could be is that place of just vacancy. Don't think it's just a whatever phase of your life. It's time to seek the Lord if you're in that empty place. Fill yourself with God's word and with his will. You know, the queen of Sheba, right? She journeyed, you know, over lands far away to go hear the wisdom of King Solomon, a man. And here we have the wisdom of God himself, Jesus Christ speaking, and we have a hard time journeying to open up the cover. It's difficult for us to do that. Jesus says it shouldn't be that way. We should be those who are hungry for the wisdom of God, to be filled with God's words. Because if we're just an empty vessel, if we're just sitting there neutral, we will be filled with something. As you go through life, there are a lot of forces in this world trying to fill you with meaning, trying to pull you in different directions. Jesus is the only one that can lead us in eternal life. 
to what is righteousness, to what produces life beyond ourselves. So we have to fill ourselves with the word of Jesus. And we can't just be hearers. We have to be doers of God's word and will. I invite you and I challenge you to not come here looking to be impressed. Do not come here leaning out. Don't come here expecting to be entertained in a message because it's not going to produce what you're looking for. When I start my week on Tuesdays and I'm in God's word, I don't start by saying, oh God, how can I really entertain everybody that's going to show up on Sunday? How can I make sure they're going to be on the edge of their seat, just gripped and just excited and pumped up for whatever story I'm going to share? God, please give me the download so that that everybody's just buzzing when they leave this place. That's not how I start on Tuesday. On Tuesday, I'm going to God's word and I'm saying, what is your will? What is your will for us as disciples? Because I know I have my will. What's yours? How can I come into alignment with you, Jesus? What's going to need a change about me as I step into your work? And that's what I'm going to convey when I come up on a Sunday, that we would be doers of God's word and will. So come in here leaning in. Don't think about Andrew's preaching, so-and-so's preaching. Are we hearing the words of God? And am I attentive to hear the leading of the Holy Spirit to follow through and make that alive in my life? That I be filled to the full measure of Jesus Christ. Let's seek that in prayer this morning. That change that some of us need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the truth of God. To be led to be doers evermore of what Jesus is teaching us. Would you join me in prayer this morning? And really, Lord, as we begin to pray, we also want to intercede because we're not going to just sit here in an enclosed room on Sundays and ignore the reality of what's going on in this nation, in this world. Jesus, we want to We want to pray, not just for those in this space. Yes, absolutely. If there are those in here who have this soul vacancy, this emptiness in them, Lord, would you fill them with your Holy Spirit? Would they be filled with your truth and with your word? Would they no longer be waiting, like we talked about last week, as spectators? But instead, would they step in, Jesus? Because you've said enough. You've done enough for us to know who you are. You've given us the answers of eternal life and life in this life. So Lord, fill those who are in this space with your Holy Spirit. Would they change today? And I, and I really believe that by your power, Jesus, that you can change lives in this moment that are going to be changed, changed. Like they're not going to go back to just this whatever state, but they're going to apply themselves to your will and your way, Jesus. But we're praying for that for all those professing Christians in this nation, millions upon millions upon millions of our brothers and sisters who aren't practicing your way at all. They openly admit it. They're not in fellowship. They're not doing your will. They're not doing your work. They're not seeking you. They're not in your word. Jesus, the stakes are too high. The spiritual battle is too real. There's too much for them to just be sitting on the sidelines. There's too much for them to be falling off the wagon. And in that place of emptiness, Lord Jesus, we're praying together. We're interceding on behalf of those who aren't here. The ones who need to hear this message the most aren't here. They're not on the live stream. They're not on the patio. They've fallen off the map. 
Jesus, bring them back. Bring them back for your kingdom work in this world. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't waste a moment that we could be in your wisdom and your truth. When we sit and try to invent truth for ourselves, it's nothing like your truth. God, we don't want to just be us. We want to be who you made us to be. We want to walk in your example, Jesus. Make us hungry for your word. Get our pulse elevated when we think about hearing from you. And Lord, would we continue to be doers? Not because we're trying to earn your love. You love us. You've forgiven us. You've set us free. We love you. You're our Lord. You're our God. We're not going to passively listen to your words. We're going to obey. We're compelled. So Lord, lead us to be doers of what you've invited us into. We want to be those that you point to. We believe we are those that you point to. You say, that's my brother. That's my sister. That's my mother. I invite you to stand with me this morning as we worship God together, as we we ask for that very thing evermore, as we're worshiping, ask that the Lord would fill you with himself, his presence. Let's keep interceding for those who aren't here. You know them. You know them. And you know the danger that Jesus says is even in that life. Let's be interceding, praying for those who aren't here, that the Lord would fill them with his presence. Bring them back into the fellowship in the light. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com. Or stay up to date with us on Instagram at BranchesHB. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.